This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day one. Hello, welcome. Um, I'd like to start by acknowledging the country in which I'm meeting here today to present um, this presentation. Um, I'm in Canberra, which is the land of the Ngunnawal uh, people, and um, I'd like to do this within the traditional language as well. Dawa Nuna. Dawa Nunawal, Yangu Nalamanyan Dunamanyan, Nunawalwari Dawawari, Dindi Wan Girilinjinyan. This is Nunawal country. Today I am meeting on Nunawal country. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the elders. My name is Liz and I'm from a company called Think Place. I work as the general manager and I run the digital practice at Think Place. Um, we are a compassionate strategic design consultancy focusing creative, um, creating positive change within complex systems and all our projects aligned to the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Now, I'm telling you this because there are a few key themes in that sentence um, that I'd like to draw your attention to. And it's through really my entire presentation, these two themes will exist. And that is positive change within complex systems. Now, I'll go on to explain a little bit more about um, complex systems, especially about designing within them as well. Today, I'm presenting what has to be the winner of the longest UX title uh, for Australian talk, and it's this enterprise service design for government, de-risking the design delivery of digital services and the challenges of moving towards an agile delivery approach. Um, no, joking, it's actually more like this. I just submitted my title wrong, but I thought it'd just be funny to keep it like that. But the tagline is as equally important, which I will be talking about de-risking design delivery. And I will be uh, talking about it through sharing with you three of the largest um, digital transformation projects that I've been on um, that have also used Agile um, as an approach. Now, design and delivery in government can be difficult and altogether um, different from industry, not one department or agency is alike and navigating this is complex. There is a provocative question that I really want to answer um, for my presentation today, and that is, can we design better government services that have continuous quick and positive impacts? Um, you know, I think the, the talk today is an accumulation of my experience working within many government departments. I've had the kind of privilege to work um, within this space for around um, 15 years or so. Uh, but I come primarily from an industry background to start with, um, and I worked mainly in IT areas. But for industries such as, you know, finance, telecommunications, fast food consumer groups, um, for-profit and non-profit organisations. But within the government space, um, you know, I've had the opportunity, as I said, to, to work on many of these large digital transformation programs. And what that is, is it's just using modern technology um, solutions to innovate, uplift and assist government uh, to deliver their services more effectively to, to us, the citizens. And I'm here today to kind of talk about, I guess, um, three things, enterprise service design and why, de-risking the design and delivery, and the challenges to adopting an agile approach. Um, I'll be sharing with you in the last two sections kind of some techniques and approaches that I actually use on the projects, um, the three projects I can share. 
Now, prior to the presentation and kind of writing it, I went about and I did a bit of, I guess, a design activity where I went to my um, colleagues that I used to work with and my clients that I uh, introduced service design and work with, um, you know, adopting Agile into their programs. And this is from a uh, director within a very large department that the unfortunate thing is like through every kind of the government of the day, they've had a lot of changes. So, you know, internally things have been kind of, you know, pulled apart and put back together. And this is never a good thing for internal, you know, ways of working, processes, um, but also externally as well. Um, you know, it's never a good thing to have this large change um, come about and the operations, you know, really kind of gets all in a bit of a jumble. So Andy says that service design enables us to unpack the key elements and opens up thinking about what we do and why to articulate the service end to end. I really love this. Um, you know, when we came in, I'll explain a little bit more about his story, but um, he had never used service design nor agile before as approaches. Um, you know, obviously some of the activities within them he might have obviously done, but he really had this great open mindset about it. So why enterprise service design and how does it differ from, you know, normal service design? I'm just going to ground us here for a second and um, I guess go back to the base definition, which is service design. Now, I like um, the one from NN Group or Norman Nelson Group, and this uh, imagery is from them, where they state that, um, you know, service design is the activity of planning and organising organizing a business's resources, which is the props process people, in order to directly improve the employee's experience and therefore indirectly the customer experience. Now, this doesn't work within the government context. And, you know, I think that those that have worked in government before can really attest that, that you know, government um, generally government departments um, and business areas, they're generally silos, they're siloed operations. Um, and these, you know, areas don't align to the services they deliver to the citizens. And we know that just by, you know, zooming out and understanding, you know, the props, people's processes and people uh, and understanding the customer journey and experiences and the business processes, designing that might not really get you to you know, delivering it well or, you know, ensuring the success. And I think this is where understanding how to design and deliver in this complex system uh, will really help. Victor Dominella is a continued inspiration for me, and I am saddened by his most recent news of um, him retiring from the government space to focus on family and health. Um, but it's a testament to, to himself and his team to the amazing impact that they've done uh, within the government space, especially for, you know, advocating for the customer, the service delivery, and, you know, creating really great inclusive um, digital, um, you know, products. And he says here that governments must continually evolve services like delivery to reflect the changing world we live in. So how do we evolve this service delivery? How do we deliver, you know, design and deliver successfully on these complex projects, how do we navigate the complexity? At ThinkPlace, uh, we have a way of applying design to complex systems. And, you know, when I talk about complex systems, I don't talk about system as in the technology sense, but rather looking at the relationships between all the parts, the behaviours and interactions that happen. Complex systems are unpredictable. They comprise of many independent parts, and these can be a mix of individuals, companies, pieces of legislation, technology, and more. You know, and while these parts are independent, 
there are these relationships between them with large numbers of non-linear interactive elements. And complex systems unfold over time. So, you know, as they uh, exist, um, you know, we often can't see things that are coming and sometimes we can't plan for certain things as well. So you can call it dynamic, even organic. This is where I like to add, um, you know, I guess the these two top other layers on the complex system. So I like to explain complex systems with the Newman design squiggle because, you know, there's this complexity navigating the space and really getting to that design innovation. And in that internal kind of section there where the mess really is, it's, it's that messy middle, right? Like we like to coin it, I think, place that messy middle. Um, and there are these kind of two top layer, and I mean, a top layer and a bottom layer that I like to add, and that's the strategy level and project level um, as extra lenses as well. And what this does is that, um, you know, organisations have the strategy level. They have, you know, strategy, vision, direction, um, they have the drivers, uh, or at least they should. And then organisations have many projects. And how do you know that things align? You know, when you're in that messy middle, when you're when you're deep into, you know, a project and you're, um, you know, doing your observational studies, doing your research, doing your mapping, your requirements gathering, how do you know that things align? How do you know that you're going in the direct right direction to, you know, that design innovation? Um, and I, when I'm on a lot of these complex programs, um, these enterprise, you know, level programs, I kind of look to understand that strategy level and I look to understand one of the project levels and not just from my project I'm in but from many projects and programs as a whole and this is where I like to um, kind of look at um, kind of zooming in and out because it's really in understanding how the strategy aligns the project level um, how we actually can um, give that better clarity on what the relationships of those, uh, you know, interactions that interplay with, you know, other dependent programs or people or processes, that is where you can start to break those silos. That is where you can start to connect the strategies to the project deliveries. Um, I'm going to go on to des uh, describe at ThinkPlace, there is the way of us uh, applying design within complex systems and we have it by framing the layers of design. The layers of design include, you know, strategy, experience, service product channel and delivery. Um, now we like to tackle projects by looking at these layers of designs and by understanding the detail within each. I won't go through the detail in today, uh, but please hit me up if you're interested. But within strategy, there are things like context drivers, benefits. Within experience, you've got things like motivations, behaviours, goals. Within the service product channel, you have things like the channels, the service catalogues. And then within delivery, you're looking at like a, a lot of the delivery side of things, so implementation, technology, systems data and more. Um, now, this is the diagram using those layers of design and just articulating out the delivery layer, the visible layer and that strategy. And I like to bring this in to, to make sure that teams really have these building blocks to understand um, how to design within, you know, mapping it out, understanding each of these components to really developing a really great service, delivering and developing great service. Um, on enterprise service design, especially in the government space, I also look at um, these two areas, which is appetite to change, motivation and drive, and culture, mindset and buy-in. But I, I need to look at it from, you know, where are they at? What's the maturity level uh, at within each level of government? So portfolio level, what's the culture, mindset, buy-in, the appetite change, motivation, drive? Um, 
the program level, again, these factors, and then the project level, because in each level, there is an appetite, um, there is a drive, there is a culture, there is a mindset that differs. And by understanding these things, it's also about understanding the effective delivery of design and delivery of that service. So I will be sharing you in this next section all around the de-risking design and delivery on enterprise um, service design kind of projects around navigating the complexity, prioritizing greater success and co-design change communication. Um, as I said, I've had the you know pleasure of working on a lot of government um, projects in, in various roles, such as you know your UX UI design lead, service design lead, sometimes even the customer architecture and business architecture lead, and um, you know one thing around designing in these departments is that um, generally you do have to navigate these kind of um, complex kind of relationships and interactions between um, the internal kind of delivery, the operations of the department. Uh, Victor Dominello here in this beautiful tweet, he said, governments around the world are historically designed around siloed um, service delivery. And the question is, and he goes on to say, how can you actually um, create, um, you know, more, I guess, impact and how can you, how can you tackle this? Um, you know, he talks about really building that team, that empowered team to do it, but also having the approach and the mindset and the culture to be able to do so. Um, because government departments generally contain salad operations and business areas that don't align to the services they deliver to citizens. It's the path from abstract to action, both points of reference to guide teams to delivering value. Now, Nicole here is talking about the service um, design tool, which is service blueprinting. And I really love her, her kind of sentiment here when she's calling it the abstract action. Now, Nicole is an experienced delivery manager. She works on many large um, digital transformation projects, helping teams kind of navigate the complexity to design and deliver well. And she advocates for that team and she really fights for them, but she, she really fights for the outcome, uh, the better, you know, the best outcome for what they're delivering. So how do you go from abstract to action? I really love that. You know, I really love that that sentence. And for me, it's it's really about, um, you know, when you're starting on a project and you're really getting in there to know, you know, what you need to deliver, what you need to do, you're starting to do your research. It's it's complex, there's moving parts. And so it's kind of like, what, where do you start to actually, um, you know, navigate from the abstract to action? Now, um, this story is, and I'm going to share you this story around a large um, project that I was on. I got uh, brought in as the service design lead to help them map out the future state service of a service that was made up of many different services um, currently out there now and kind of mushing it into kind of this one um, new service. And you can kind of already tell that you know, there's going to be a lot of complexity, right? Like we're going to change the processes, the workflows internally, the technologies, the systems, like how they do things operationally. But but we're also changing what's out there for the customers, for the citizens, for industry, for organisations, for all those other people that uh, are impacted by this service. And, you know, it coming into this space, you know, I first noticed things like silent operations, lack of communication, lack of vision direction. 
and you know there was this looming set delivery date for new services i'm sure that this story resonates with a lot of you out there and when i came came in you know i'd noticed that you know business had written this business case as well as many requirements there was um mapped out custom experiences and a lot of future state kind of functions and things that they required um and now, you know, businesses were ready to engage with IT to design, build and implement um, this new um, service, which was, uh, you know, digital transformations so or system uplift. And so did you pick up that handball between business and IT? That business had done, you know, kind of the business case requirements mapping, and now they are ready to engage with IT to say, hey, this is the thing that we need. Um, but to be fair, IT actually already done many, um, you know, kind of the base work, architecture models, solution designs, process mapping. but. The disconnect here was that they didn't do it together. There was no co-design between them. So there was a real disconnect between a lot of the, the documentation. Um, and so this is where I came into this department and we had a very small team, a team of three. Um, and at ThinkPlace, we like to start pro like projects off with creating this thing called an intent statement to have a shared vision, to have a shared plan, to have a shared approach, as well as it helps in de-risking the design and the approach of the um, project you're on. So intents actually contain things like, you know, your current state, your understanding levers of design. So, you know, what are the current problems and how, what is the future outcome of this? Um, we also look at looking at that future state, but not just from the success of the thing we're trying to do, but actually of the success of the program or the strategy of the department as a whole, which really try to understand um, what is it a success for different types of stakeholders as well, and what does it mean for them? Um, in our intent meetings, we also do stakeholder mapping. So we really try to understand quickly who our stakeholders are so that we can you know, kind of hit the ground running and really engage with all of these stakeholders and also understand the relationships between them and the interactions we need to have with them. And lastly, what most importantly really is about acknowledging the prior research that has been done to date, really respecting the work that has been done by the team and also other teams and other consultancies and other you know, internal business areas that have done this. The information data that they've collected was collected for a reason um, and unpacking that and understanding that is really important. But also at ThinkPace, we also like to understand where has it been done before out there around the world that has been successful. We look at other government models, we look at other you know, industry examples, and this really helps reduce the, I guess, the risk of um, understanding what their problems were and, and kind of learning from it as well. And so, as I said, I've come in and there's a lot of documentation from business and IT and the team, we kind of map out and understand, draw out insights with each of these, um, you know, bodies of research. And, you know, it, it doesn't take long, you know, you could spend in time box, you know, two, three weeks to, or, you know, one even week to kind of dive into these documents and pull out, you know, key insights. Um, and people generally ask me, where do I go? You know, where do I go from here? I've collected all this information and I've done all these workshops. I've done these one-on-ones. What do I need to do next? You know, or what am I building along the way? What am I doing along the way to actually build and help the team um, quickly build out these things because they can't wait for me to complete, you know, all these one-on-ones and all these workshops. Victor Dominella here points out, um, really, the customer is the sun. You know, how can we further improve government to institutionalise service delivery around the customer? The customer is the sun. And that that's the, that's the number one thing here is to really understand what are the outcomes and the goals of the customer. 
and you know i'm sure that you know all the designers out there um you know you'll start with the customer and you know do things like journey mapping experience mapping and understanding you know what they need but it's not just about understanding in, a, in building a service understand the customer um, which is the first kind of layer you should really understand because again there's that sentiment of uh, why would a service or product exist if the customer had no outcome or need or you know goals to do something? And so by finding out that customer, that external users, because they're not just customers sometimes, they're business, they're organizations, they're um, you know other uh, entities that just aren't the customer. And by finding about those and finding then about the backstage, which is the business um, and the business operations and you know, finding out their outcomes and needs and how it actually maps out to that front stage and then really mapping out. And in this program example that I did, I put out external pain points, um, which are current, put out service operation delivery pain points because that's really important to understanding how to deliver the service well. Um, and this is all around that culture, that mindset, that buy-in, that drive, you know, understanding these pain points and designing them out goes for a bit experience in delivering the service, in which case then, where the normal service design definition kicks in, then you will indirectly improve that customer experience too because you know that they're mapped out and um, you know, the interactions and relationships are known. Um, in this body of work, we also did a lot of the technical mapping because it was a, a modern technology uplift as well. Um, and, you know, I have the, I guess, um, experience around uh, developing the front end and back end portal. So I used to actually be a developer. And so it was just by sheer chance that, you know, I was able to do this. If you don't have all the people that are needing to build the service because they're either using it or delivering it or building it, you need to include them in actually the service blueprinting. Um, and so this is a visual depiction of kind of what we created. And when I say start with a customer, I say start with a customer by understanding, you know, you can do journey mapping. Great, because you understand the outcomes along the way, you understand what they're doing. Um, but the more, I guess, powerful tool that I use, and I, I've actually removed it from these slides today because um, I would run out of time if I dived into that um, technique and that activity too. But I like to use the job stories from the jobs to be done framework because that really outlines that situation, the motivation and the expected outcome of the person. Now, the situation is really crucial in understanding your service stages because there's a situation at a time when someone needs something. They're either needing to inquire about something or they need maybe like an assessment or maybe a payment. So this is actually made up service stages that I've done um, just to depict kind of a, a linear journey, like a continuum of the service. And through the job stories, I can actually plop, you know, where the customer's um, kind of job story or need kind of fits. And then equally going down the lanes, the swim lanes, I can then map out what does the business area need to do to satisfy that thing that the customer is trying to get as an outcome. And then I can map out again, down, going down further, any pain points, um, the system, what does the system need to do to um, help the business and the users actually do the thing they need to do. So what are the kind of uh, enabling um, bodies of technology, data, other things that, that help um, make that top front stage and backstage a success and a reality. Uh, again, as I said, it's a team activity. You you can't design a blueprint without actually doing it together with with 
entire team. Um, you don't have to do it all in once, like what lots of big workshops. Um, sometimes you can even build upon a service blueprint by, you know, interviews and talking to people and understanding their processes and showing them this map and saying, where do you fit in? And they might be able to fill in kind of the holes and, and you know, uh, further articulate some of the other areas or interactions they do. Um, at the same time, you can validate and collect information, which is so powerful, right? Because validating as well generally takes a lot of time. And then the most beautiful thing about creating a service blueprint is around the change in communication, that impact that's seen by everyone. Everyone understands what the service is. They understand where they, they fit within this service. They understand kind of the, the impacts that are seen, not just before and after, but as a general whole. Like most other capabilities, I feel service design has an important part to play in building better services. In a government context, it's vitally important our customers can be the country's most vulnerable citizens, and we owe it to them to always do better. Service blueprints have always resonated with me. I like being able to see the entire experience and how the service fits together. It can also help prioritise where the greatest opportunities are for success. I really love um, the way that Nicole has resonated with service design um, in building better services because we need to do this, right? It's vitally important to support um, some of our, you know, citizens' most vulnerable customers as well. Um, but I love that um, she's able to see the entire experience and it also helps, you know, her prioritise um, for the greater success. And we will go into a little bit around that, you know, how do you prioritise for that success? So you've got this beautiful service blueprint, you know, this entire landscape end to end. There obviously might be some holes, which I like to call little, you know, Swiss cheese, but, you know, you've got most of it, right? And it's a great communication tool. It's a great tool for change and seeing what, what's needed to be done. How do you actually, what do you need to do next? Like it's, it's big. How do you actually, I guess the saying is eat the elephant. This is where um, you need to harvest the blueprint. This is the most important step in actually helping teams go from kind of your research, your design into that action, right? And it's to identify what other things needed to build that service out, to build, to make it usable, to make it testable, to bring it out to early customers. And how do you plan, you know, how do you plan actually is all the work. Harvesting the blueprint is looking at each of those service stages and just understanding what does that mean when the user is, when the customer is trying to find that information, and they're able to call the call centre, they're able to go on the website, they're able to do this, they're able to do that. What are those bodies of work? You know, is it I need to create the website pages? Is it I need to create a workflow and process for, you know, call centres? Is it I need to create a script for the call centre? Is it I need to make a workflow from call centre, et cetera? So it's really about pulling out all those building blocks to, to do that. What does... Um, Harvesting tell, I'll explain a little bit, but I really love Andy's um, kind of quote here where we could see the transitions that were going to be difficult. We could see the service journey and describe the features, the descriptions, and then the user stories to help the development team build to the right acceptance criteria. Now, this is what the power of the, the harvesting did for Andy as a product owner, that he could really see what was going to be that, you know, the blockers, the the difficult journey, the difficult paths. He could see, you know, describe things to the, the development team to build out because he had that entire service and the context of where it was. So, oh, apologies. Service blueprinting um, as, I guess, just an activity is 
is a team event. You can't just um, do it, you know, as a single design team. You have to come together to understand, map all the layers of design, and then you have to harvest and prioritise that work. Now, I'll explain a little bit more about MVPs in a little bit. Um, and then you have to identify those implementation blockers, those points where it's going to be difficult to deliver. And then you can plan out the work. And, you know, tip is to use that story mapping um, tool, that activity. This is a quote from an article recently um, by Victor Dominello, as well as Digital Victoria CEO um, Michael McNamara. And in um, you know, the article, Victor states that new digital projects were best run as pilots rather than multi-year costly investments. And this de-risked the initial investment, enabling governments to move faster. Um, Michael then states that in a post-COVID world, there's just not enough money to go around for the five to 10 year investments in technology projects. They're a thing of the past and the MVPs or pilots are the way to go. Um, harvesting the blueprint really can get you to that MVP because you can prioritize kind of the work that needs to be done at a minimum or that could be delivered really quickly, let's say in like a you know, three months period, two, three months period to deliver out to the market, to out to the customers to actually test that product, right? To to test it and see if it actually is the thing that's needed, actually will, you know, um, meet their outcome and goal. And that's where um, this these activities, and I'm showing these two kind of um, screenshots from uh, an actual project where we actually had uh, the ability to co-design rapidly with what we call an advisory group. We had a group of eight. You don't need to co-design with everyone. Like it's not like a, you know, design by every single voice um, needed, but it's about understanding where you need the right people because it's the right user segmentation to test with because it's at the right time in the project. And this advisory group at this point in time were able to help us not just test the product that we released um, very quickly, but they also helped us prioritise now we use this prioritization tool called Moscow, which is must have, should have, could have, won't have. They prioritize for, for us to then allow, you know, I guess the the evidence and the information to flow through to like the project owner and the project manager to then make that informed decision. Actually, does this align with the strategy? Does this align with, you know, what we're trying to deliver? Yes, it's it's definitely must have, let's do it. And so it really gave that power to understand um, moving forward um, what to build and what to deliver. I like it's that it's a structured and consistent approach. It allows you to prioritise, to delegate, to support each other. I like that about Agile and the methodology is accepted by the team and the team are empowered to do what they need to do. Um, I'm now going to be talking a little bit about um, the accepted process and methodology, um, about planning openly, being transparent and about changing communication within um, adopting Agile. Now, this story is one around where I've come into this large uh, program, a part of a kind of a consortia, which is many different organizations um, and consultancies trying to deliver a, you know, a, um, a program of work. And Agile had been used in small pockets, but not widely disseminated around the entire department, not widely known, so there was a low maturity. But also there was no prior training um, or use uh, of the approach, there was little you know, buy-in and appetite to use. And I think most importantly of all, there was no alignment to the reporting. And so we come in and, and Agile is kind of 
put onto the team and said, this is the way you need to do it. Here is our agile project managing team. We're now going to do use this tool and we're going to plan through this tool and we're going to be doing these activities and it needs this is how, how it needs to be done. And Dan, he states, where it doesn't work well is when agile is a, is a framework or approach driven, it's not mindset driven. It should give multidisciplinary teams the power to do what they need to deliver. Now, Dan is an experienced um, product designer. He works on a lot of um, digital transformation projects um, within industry and government. And he says that when agile is used, and this is really the important bit, is that it's really approach and framework driven, not mindset driven. But I think you still need to have those accepted processes and methodology. And when I talk about accepted process and methodology, I'm not talking about just that rigid do agile this way and that's the only way. What I'm talking about is that um, the team needs to find the way that works for them, um, not by obviously doing a hybrid agile method, but by continually working and understanding what might work for them in the process, what might work for them in communication, what might work for them in that cadence of delivery. And this artifact here that I'm showing um, was from a team where the team were not just empowered to design kind of the, the workflow that they had, but they also needed certain um, points of review um, and also points of feedback, so building in kind of feedback loops. And we use this just not within the team to empower the team to deliver, but also we use it as a communication tool to our stakeholders and broader department. Some ceremonies are a pain in the butt, but some are really powerful in helping adopt change and allow the team to be powered to do the things needed, and it gave them agency over their work. Um, I really love that, um, you know, Angie came into this, um, this large program with the consortia and he was very new to Agile and I think that it it is, you know, said that any change is difficult to start really and, you know, coming into this not just from a what's the service, I got to build this thing, I got to do this thing, but also I got to now deliver in this particular way. I think it was really nice for him that, that you know, he recognised that some were, you know, not as easy going, but he found that it was powerful in helping that change. So this is another artifact that I'll show you quickly, but it really, again, it was about that transparency and that ability for the team to develop in a process of work that worked for them, for work for this team. Um, and they were able to do, I guess, these kind of daily, um, you know, stand-ups, the sprint planning, the review, the retro, so these ceremonies, um, still to be able to make sure that, you know, not just the stakeholders, but the board department themselves uh, could make the success of the delivery. So it's about that planning openly and being transparent. And I can't advocate more for change and communication early. The earlier you do it, the better. You know, I've seen a lot of agile um, projects fail because, you know, you go into a room and you start talking and they're talking about retros and reviews and planning and and user stories and you lose the entire audience. You're just like, you know, they don't know what you're talking about. Um, these two pieces of um, uh, visuals here was a part of like poster sets and also brochures and flyers. And what this did was we sent them out often and we sent them out as early as we could to not just say that, hey, this is coming, but here's the benefit for you. And this is what we need from you. And this is why. And this is the, you know, what we're going to deliver. So it was about really giving people that power to see what we were doing and see that real change as well. 
Mindsets don't change the minute someone suggests Agile. Make sure you're adopting it for the right reasons. Does it make sense in your context? What would work and not work in your environment? Agiles do not equal standards of planning, nor is it hybrid. Find ways of working that complement government structures that are typically more traditional. And I really love the sentiment, adopt it for the right reasons. Right? If it's not working for you, if it's not working for your team, then, then tweak it. You know, make it work, you know, change it, have that communication, make sure you understand why it doesn't work and then find ways of working, not just within the team, but find ways of working with complementing within the traditional structures of where you're working. So whether it be reporting, governance, et cetera, how does that map back and how do you work with it if you're going to be you know, using the agile approach? So can we design better government services that have continuous quick and positive impacts? Yes, yes, we can. Um, through my lived experiences, you know, working in government, um, you know, having the privilege to to work on many large um, digital transformation projects, you know, these four things really help assist, um, you know, the design, delivery, and actually working together and making that service a success from, you know, the onset. And it's around mapping that complexity and harvesting the work together, really making it known and understanding these things. Um, it's about that continuous co-design, testing, and communication. Um, and it's about planning openly, transparently together. And this is all done, you know, early as possible, right? As a team event, all these things are really the team events in building um, these things together. And then it's about building and improving empowered teams because I can't advocate so much for, you know, when an empowered team is there to tackle a problem, there's this, you know, energy, this um, real uh, beauty in seeing that, you know, these people are just you know, the experts in the area and they know how to work together so well that they're just going to get to the you know job and they're going to get it done. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed um, the presentation. Um, please hit me up on LinkedIn um, anytime to message me if you need any uh, further information. Thank you.